This past winter, I experienced my first major snowstorm probably ever in my adulthood. I decided to spend the holidays with some new friends in the Pacific Northwest. I had never been to this specific area of the region before. I had been to Seattle and a couple of other places in Northern California and Washington State, but this area is known for its densely packed trees and tremendous natural beauty. When I arrived, it had begun to snow, and by the next morning, we woke up to a quiet, ever-drifting of snow, which had already completely covered everything around us. I had never seen anything like it before. Thankfully, I did bring my frosty weather appropriate hiking boots, and me and a friend decided to go hiking on a nearby trail in the snow. As we made our way over to the woods nearby, my feet had to remember how to walk on ice again and uneven terrain. It took a few minutes for my body to adjust, but man, it was so satisfying to hear and feel that crunch of the snow beneath your feet as you walk on it. And it was a newly fallen snow. No one else had taken the trail yet that day, and it was all ours. It was immensely beautiful. The trees were dressed with these white patches of snow. The plants, the path ahead had overhanging branches covering the trail, and that all looked like these kind of shimmery tiny crystals just for us to enjoy. As we're walking, I had to stop just for a second. Something about this moment felt familiar. I told my friend I was walking with on the trail, this is exactly what I had imagined as a kid while reading the opening chapters of the Chronicles of Narnia. Remember, Lucy pushes through the magical wardrobe and she feels the crunch of the snow beneath her feet and then she's transported to this snow-covered forest. In that moment, the imaginings of the childhood storybook that I read in middle school had suddenly become real to me. I felt as if I was experiencing the artistry and intention of that moment by C.S. Lewis for the first time, 30 years later. Some things just can't be described. You have to live them to experience them for yourself. When I think of times when my eyes were opened to living experiences for the first time, they can usually be traced back to one particular college mentor of mine. Dr. Valerie Bullock was one of the first in my early adult life to stir up intrigue, to set the stage for curiosity and point the way to what real magic life has to offer. My introduction to her was actually a little earlier. While I was in high school, sitting in my chorus class, we got a visit from a professor who was the director of music at a nearby college, the Horton School of Music at Charleston Southern University. She was there for a little music workshop. Little did I know that a few years later, I'd be learning so much more from her as her student at the university. Studying music under her guidance, along with a few other powerful teachers in this environment, sharpened my skill as a classical musician. But more importantly, I began to slowly peel away layers of understanding about the world that I lived in, to begin to see things in a different light, a different hue, a different frequency of existence. Our collegiate choir that Valerie directed and conducted traveled places I had never been before. Around the world, I experienced new cultures, asked questions I had never considered, and I saw and felt things for the first time, many of them planting seeds of adventure and curiosity that have led me to carry on even today with that ever-journeying spirit of mine. Much of my thirst for adventure and search for new things all come from these years with Valerie peering around the corner, gently pushing us along. One memory that stands out quite vividly to me was one night in the walls of the Yorkminster Cathedral in northern England, on one of our choir tours, 
we had an evening rehearsal. And during a break, I decided to sneak down to the darkness of the crypt where some of the structures date back to the Roman Empire. We're talking 5th century here. Amazing stuff. I remember touching the floor and the pillars and the walls around me and thinking of the thousands of humans that had walked these very same paths before. They lived their lives here and even perhaps sang some of the same music we had performed that week in these very halls. This moment sparked something in me that made me ever inquisitive about our connection to the world around us and the countless others that have lived it before to bring us here and now. This was experience. This was the living of it. As I read tales from Narnia into reality, Valerie recalls reading Madeline Langle's A Wrinkle in Time, which is not surprising, as the character of Meg has to learn the lessons of life by carrying them out herself, one experience at a time. Because after all, not everything can be described or explained in words. Perhaps this is why music became both of our paths, the language that can only be experienced to fully understand, to express feelings about the beauty and the troubles of the world in a way only it can, to transform and change lives forever in ways we still have yet to know. This past year, I traveled back home to Charleston to interview a few important people in my life, and I'm so pleased I got to sit down and talk with my great friend and mentor for this hour. And since the recording of this episode, Valerie Bullock was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award from the state's American Choral Directors Association, and I couldn't think of a more deserving title for such a person in our world. Please enjoy this hour, just in conversation with Dr. Valerie Bullock. This is Valerie Bullock, my esteemed former professor, leader, colleague, mentor, friend, all the above, and it just continues. So we're in, we're in Somerville, South Carolina, and I wanted to just, one of the highlights of this trip is just, I wanted to spend some time with you and document this oh. conversation. So as I was doing this, and obviously I'm driving here, mm-hmm. and I did start to think about how grateful I am that I have the ability and have a relationship with people like you. Oh, thank you. That I can, you know, just how lucky I am to be able to sit down with you and have a little conversation. Thank you. After all these years. So well, and just pick up. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah. It's different because you have matured mm. and you had even more experiences, but, you know, remembering those experiences and how they had the chance to alter. Yeah. You know. I like to, one of my very first episodes on this thing was, I call it connecting the dots. And sometimes I'll do this exercise where I, okay, look at where you are now mm-hmm. and what had to happen before this occurred. And then you just keep doing that. And if you follow that pattern of connecting the dots, you'll be just amazed how many people it took to influence mm-hmm. where you are now, right? Yeah. You are certainly one of those people. Thank you. So I wrote down a few notes. We'll see if I was trying to remember the first time I ever even saw you or heard of you. Mm-hmm. And I think my memory is I was a high school student at Stratford. And I did all county. Yes. And I was a student. Excuse of, me. I conducted. All yeah. County. <laughs> yes. I've got to stop using that verb. Yeah. Right. Um, so I was a student of Judy Cohn's. Right. Yeah. And I guess you were you were coming in to help. You were a clinician or something, right? I, I was, yeah. I conducted Berkeley All County a lot, particularly right. when when Frank Miley uh-huh. was the music director, and maybe somebody. Anyway, but yeah, I remember doing that. Yeah. I, I, like 2000, 2002, 2003, or maybe it was ninety eight. You know, it had to be it had yeah. ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. So I was there, and I remember. Okay, so here's my story. All right. 
I was so, kind of a whippersnapper. Then. Yeah, you were. Well, <laughs> so I was here just, you know, high school student, whatever. And, you know, I have, I do have this pattern where I have all the, and Josh shares this, my friend, <laughs> my friend Josh shares this, where we have all these like amazingly influential, strong women that just tend to surround us and mm-hmm. push us in these different directions. So I already had Judy Cohen influencing my life, right? Mm-hmm. So then I think she said something, I mean, my memory, I don't know, but something like, okay, this person's going to come in and help us work on something. You were visiting the school for oh, school. Oh, okay. Right? So it wasn't the actual all county. all county. It was you were coming in to visit to maybe have you wor- work, on all work state, with us maybe? for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You were just visiting, but you were going to do like a little, you were working with us to do Workshop something. something. Yeah, something like that. Who knows? That was Clinic, so, so yeah. long ago. But I remember you walked in the door and I was just, I was just transfixed on the way you entered the room first of all like you just commanded this presence and just the way you walked in the way you kind of said hello to everybody this commanding voice and just the way you carried yourself and your body and also kind of just gave a a different way to look at music as if this was this thing that you get to do this isn't just something we're doing here right and i could go on and on with with all kind of verbs but it you, you struck me Mm. And I think, you know, that was probably the earliest memory I have of, I want to be like that gal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I, I I think I had forgotten actually that that was actually the first time I mm. saw you ever or was introduced to who you were. So, you know, fast forward a bit. I was her student for a while and then she had this way of kind of counseling me and talking to me about stuff. And I was planning to go to USC. Mm-hmm. And do musical theater or whatever else everybody else is doing. I seem to recall that. I, I'm somehow okay. very vaguely. Okay. I seem to recall that. And somehow she pulled me in her office or something. Was like, you know, I think you should consider Charleston Southern actually. You know, and I think at the time her husband was there. Yeah, Frank was there. Yeah, again. yeah. And um, so I just was like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. But somehow, and I don't remember the details. Somehow she convinced me to try out for this. Yeah. Uh, school and go to music there do music and or i shouldn't say do music right to to study music to study there you go thanks let's get those verbs that's right you're still doing it i see all these years later <laughs> um so yeah i did and the rest of it's a little foggy but perhaps you can film the 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 rest of it but i went and auditioned i suppose i think i was probably there yeah and then i decided to study music and i think i flip-flopped between, between five different degree programs didn't you come in as music ministry? or I came in as music ed. That's right. I remember And that. I have s- somewhere in that process, maybe it was after a class or two, mm-hmm. you called me in and you said, you are not doing music. I said that. <laughs> you were not studying music ed. And there was something, I, th- I mean, that was a traumatic part oh. of my life. Oh. I was, I didn't know who I was or what was going on. Uh-huh. I had family stuff going on. So that year, my freshman year of college, I was like the most, I wasn't there. I was the most distant kid. And when was it? Was that two, 2001? No, no. 2002? That, oh, yeah. No. Yeah. It, either 2000 or grad, I graduated high school in 2000. Okay. So it was either 2000 uh-huh. or 2001, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was when all I, we had was concert choir and chamber singers. Right. Yeah. And you had you had just started creating something new at that point, I think, yeah. right? Well, the concert singers did not come about until two thousand three. Okay, there you go. Two thousand two, two thousand three. Right. So yeah. Yes, and for some reason you remember every date and year. <laughs> uh, so you. I don't know why. Hey, that that's gonna help. And that I'm like, I'm just gonna let. Her, I wrote down, just let her tell the dates because I don't. <laughs> you have this. You have the superpower about that. I love it. <laughs> You'd be a great history teacher. I almost did that. Actually, when I was at FSU, the guy, well, the guy who was who taught music history there, yeah. and also the Center for um, Music in the Americas, fabulous teacher, Robert Smith. Very unusual name. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but he was a great teacher. But he, but he, you know, we had to make presentations. And he said, have you ever considered, you know, going the his- music history route? And I was like, mm, no. <laughs> no, no. So I'm I, I'm curious now. So let's go back a little bit to that time mm-hmm. when I was just mentioning. Uh-huh. 
Can you just give me a glimpse in your personal and professional life? What was going on at that point? Like, where were you in all of that? What was your mind set? And well, really, like the late '90s, early 2000, I was still trying to make an impression in the choral world beyond really just CSU. Mm. You know, the, mm-hmm. until 2000, I was still directing. Charleston Renaissance Ensemble. I was very involved in ACDA state, et cetera. I was present in you know, 99, 2000, 2001. And um, yeah, I think I was just trying to really make it professionally. I left FSU in 91, and then I taught at Old Miss for a couple of years. I don't know if you knew that, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it came to CSU in 93, and you know, there was nothing there. I mean, we had, there were five of us in, mm. in the music faculty. Anyway, and... Uh, so what year did you come to CSU? 93. Okay. Fall of 93. Okay. Yeah. So I think that I was just really trying to make a make an impression. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. And give as many clinics as I could, can have as many op- conducting opportunities. And be seen. And be seen, yes. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense about why you were visiting. Right. You were just going around. And just kind of recruiting, too. Sure, yeah. sure. Even though I, I never was a huge recruiter. But because I had taught for so long in the state before I went to receive my doctorate, you know, every, a lot of people already knew me. In fact, my husband and I have talked about this, you know, why it's a little harder for, for the guy who's there now. Well, also, he's very young, but, you know, he doesn't have that long-term reputation in the mm, state. Sure. I mean, people knew me. Sure, absolutely. And so, yeah, and so that that was kind of my mindset, you know. Yeah. And we were only doing domestic tours then. The first international tour, w- tour, which I think changed my way of thinking as a choral director drastically. Mm. And, and of course, it changed students gradually yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. Was the 2003 Bulgaria tour. Oh, gosh. So yeah. many memories on that I know. trip. Oh, Good my and gosh. bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And the, you know, the Brahms Requiem. Yeah. You know, conducting yes. That and, yes. And then just doing really trying to schedule major works, you know, alternating with the those foreign trips. And to this day, by the way, the Brahms Requiem is my hands-down favorite oh, yeah. work to do. I have it in my five wishes that I want the Brahms Requiem completely with the Charleston Symphony and a full choir, yes, at my funeral. Yeah, of course. We'll make that happen. <laughs> we'll see now it's recorded. In German. Okay. In German. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. And a good soprano singing, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't send me some. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I will come up like Frumacera. <laughs> <laughs> of course. No, we've done it all over the place in Los Angeles right. in several choirs. And every time, I have actually a friend, I'll name him on this, Christian Campos, mm-hmm. who's just, he's a force actually, to great friend, great musician, great conductor. I don't know if he still does, but for a while he was working with the LA Phil, mm-hmm. doing some talks and stuff wow. with the musicians. So, but his, his, our friendship was sort of, uh, we had a little moment when we both loved the Brahms Requiem. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we will go to his apartment and have a drink and just listen to the entire yep. Requiem just at his apartment. And it's just, every time I hear it, it yeah. it's oh, magical. Anyway. Okay. So let's do something which I am personally curious about and can we just go back to the beginning Mm -hmm. and kind of say you know where did you grow up what were you like as a kid what was what was life like as little valerie you weren't in south carolina as a as a kid i was born in california actually oh really yeah my dad was in the military i remember you said this now yeah okay okay you have family out there well he used to live out there he passed away in 2001 but there are some connections he kind of was adopted by a family, if you will, when he went out there. Okay. So, but yeah, so we started there and then he, we really didn't travel that much, maybe like six or seven states before I turned like six or seven. <laughs> and then he, he was um, at the Charleston Air Force Base. He was in the Air Force. Okay. And so, and then later retired here. So I pretty much did all my schooling here in Charleston. Okay. So, and you know, we were, we went to Baptist churches, you know, and in fact, kind of interestingly, the last place that we lived when I was growing up over in West Ashley 
right down the road was David Cutno, oh. who was the first choral director at Pepsi College. Yes. Right. So it's kind of interesting that there were only, until Dustin came, there were only two choral directors at that at that university. Wow. Wow, yeah. 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 But anyway, and so um, in high school, I went to St. Andrews High School, which is not there anymore, and, um, and I took piano lessons, voice lessons, private art lessons from Corey McCollum down at the College of Charleston. Mm. So I was just, you know, I was a cheerleader. Oh, that explains <laughs> the posture and all, all of that. Yeah. You know, I just kind of did, at that time, most girls did that. I mean, I was not the best okay. pianist. Okay. But I, you know, I played a lot of Chopin and stuff like that. But yeah. And then when I was getting ready to go to college, USC, I, um, I didn't think I wanted to be a music major. So I was an English major. Hmm. And so that probably connects some dots too. Yeah. And. At the time, I lived in the a dorm that was actually an old hotel, and there was an older lady who lived in the penthouse at the top, and she had a grand piano, and I would go up there and play, and and she would, you know, she say, "Oh, darling, you really should consider doing music," you know, and I was like, well, "I don't really know," and so when I one time I got my first paper back from English, and it looked like the guy had you know slid his wrist in the paper. <laughs> I know that. I know that grade, yeah. And I was like, hmm, perhaps English isn't the best thing for me. <laughs> and so I said, yeah. they had one of those things where they, where you, you know, take a test and they decide what area you seem to have an affinity towards. Yeah. And it was either the arts or law. Okay. And oh, I said, interesting. Yeah. And I said, eh, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. And so I went and auditioned for the music, music department at that time. And um, piano. Piano, okay. Yeah, not voice. And so I was a piano principal music ed major for a, about a year and a half. I, you know, I changed in January of my freshman year. And, and of course, was in concert choir and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I um, started taking voice lessons. And then my, I think it was the spring of my sophomore year, after I did my jury, they said, you play very musical, but, you know, just do you really like this? And, and they said, and I said, no, I think I'm going to switch to voice. And they said, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Similar to me. Yeah. And so, but you know, I've always found that having that piano ability. Oh, sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, yeah, yes, yes. You have to, you have to be able to do it. And of course, when I taught high school, so, so I finished and then I almost immediately got a job. I graduated in December and then I had a job. January eighth uh-huh. of um, the, the next year <laughs> at and twelve thirty seven. Oh yeah, that's right. And and taught at a middle inner city middle school for what wound up being three and a half years. And then I went to a high school, and then for four years. And then I went to Lexington High School for six years. And then after that, it was when I went to FSU. Mm. So yeah, so I actually taught middle and high for fourteen years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of gave me a little different perspective. And then, of course, FSU was just, you know, I got my undergraduate and my master's at USC. Okay. My master's I got while, while I was teaching. Yeah. You know. Yeah, sure. Because I didn't really, you know, and I did musical theater. I, you know, I sang in operas. I was very involved. I was still single. So mm. it really didn't matter if I didn't get home till you know, right. 1130 right. or 12. Sure. You know, I'd still pop up at six and do my thing and yeah, then go to rehearsals and late diners and yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Lots of that. And, um, and then of course I met Daryl in um, 78 mm. and then, yeah, we were married so, in 80. So going back a little bit. So when did you, I mean, you just told me that you sort of went the route of music study, mm-hmm. but was there some like really early influence about music? Why did you choose music? You think? From, um, did you have a parental influence or did you go to something? My mother sang, hmm. yeah, and sort of played, but not really. And, and then I had a little toy piano that, I don't really remember this, but anyway, they, when I was like four, mm-hmm. that I would bang on and pretend like I was playing you know, hymns or whatever. But my mother actually sang on the radio when she was four years old. And oh, she was wow. like little Miss Greenville and all this stuff. So, cool. I know. So, That's really cool. So there is a background to it. My dad, no. Nothing. Not, yeah. Not a zip. Okay. 
But, <laughs> but yeah, so I guess that was, I guess my mother was a bit of an influence too and, and very encouraging. You know, like I said, she was, you know, I had piano lessons from age seven. Right. To, and, and some really good teachers and, and some really not so good ones too. But, but yeah, you know, it was a large part of my life. And like a lot of people in the South, you know, you, you were at church all the time. Yeah. And so, you you know, we sang, we'd sing little trios. My sister and my mother and I would sing trios. Okay. So you have one sister. Right. And, and one a, brother. And one brother. Yeah. Okay. And then your parents. Right. Um, do you remember anything about your life in California or were you too young? I just remember when Patty, you know, like Patty came home from the hospital and, you know, we lived in, well, I was born in Oceanside, but the, that area near um, yeah. San Diego. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. I and love San Diego. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, and we we have been back since, of course. And when my dad was still there, we were going out a lot. And then when he got sick, we were. That was back in the day when you could actually fly out for. I think it was called Priceline or something, and you could actually oh, yeah. bid. Yes, yeah, so I remember that. Yeah, it was like a hundred dollars. Okay. To fly, you can't do that. Now. No, it's <laughs> quite pricey. But we were out a lot then, and you know he was he was enjoying being there, but but yeah pancreatic cancer mm. so that's why he passed away but yeah i don't you know i don't remember anyone specifically there were several people who were very encouraging or do you remember going to concerts or events or is there something that you remember that's like oh yeah i remember this was kind of this stuck out to me in the seventh grade i remember going to music camp at Furman. okay and i just thought it was fabulous you know because yeah. all that singing mm-hmm. and, and everything and i just and I, I love that choir. And, and actually, my junior high choir director, Paige Kelly, who I think, I mean, hasn't really been retired that long, but she was fabulous. She, she was so fabulous. And I had a really good um, choral director my, my sophomore year of high school. So I have had good, good influencers. Right. But I think really the biggest influencers were probably college mm-hmm, i almost mm-hmm. feel like that's, that's when it took hold that's really when i started peaking because of, of really more like singing and operas and sure things like that were you a um i imagine you were were you a reader as a kid did you read a lot yes okay i oh, figured yeah. so I, th- I remember wrinkle in time i read that in the mm-hmm. fifth grade and <laughs> yeah and i mean yeah oh yeah i was voracious reader. and you still are to this day I'm, yeah 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 yeah, Not, yeah. I mean, and Daryl is too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we both, uh, he goes through books faster, but he he just says, I said, what, what are you reading about? And he goes, words. <laughs> that sounds like a Daryl response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway. I just find it fascinating because I wasn't much of a reader, actually. I am now. And I think the pandemic kind of forced me into that zone a little bit more. Uh, and I was, all the stuff I'm missing out on. But I, but also I think because of the the age gap too, right? There is just there's so much more to be distracted with now. Mm-hmm. It might have that's just what you did. You read things. Do you think that that reading all that stuff influenced the way that you thought or approached life more, ideas and things like that? Perhaps I, you know, I don't I don't know that anything that I was really reading for fun, mm-hmm. if you will, yeah, was that deep that it would have really been. Earth-shattering. What kind of things well, did you read? That, well, I mean, like I said, bring time. time yeah. I can't. I really can't think of anything else, any other like series. I okay. mean, I've, I have. You know, now I do, of course. Yeah, right. In fact, you took pictures of one, anyway, one yeah. of those series that I liked a lot. Yeah. But anyway, yes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. But that was anyway. But yeah, I yeah, I don't know that that really did that. It it, it could be sometimes it could be movies too or theater mm. or things like that. What I'm getting at, I guess, is that you obviously you also you have a love of you've been you've been correcting yourself on right now, right? Yeah. Just the the use of words um and that was something else that I noticed about you a lot and there there were times a lot of us you would say something we quickly had to go to the dictionary because we didn't know (laughs) a new word we hadn't heard before but it was i mean that's something that i think you love too that influences your behavior and like you know fine things Mm -hmm. the finer things of life you're one of those people that enjoys those things oh yeah using fine words and the correct words and yeah just beautiful things but i think you always kind of pointed us as students in the direction of looking toward that, whether it was musical or whether 
our words we choose or our actions or clothing, makeup we choose, you know, whatever. Right. Just uh, presenting ourselves in the finest way possible. Where do you think that came from? Growing up in Charleston, probably. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And see, the high school I went to, I mean, it. there were some very, very smart people there. Mm. And I think that kind of ethic, if you will, you know, that, oh, well, of course you're going to, you know, make over 1400 on the SAT. I mean, you know, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. So they, they want to excel. Yeah. They don't want to be, they don't want to neglect their intellect. Mm. Right. So that they respect themselves enough that they would want to do that. Now, I'm not saying that I always pursued that. But I think that that was always there. So, you know, you admired people not just for their their outer beauty, but for their mind. Did you face any difficulties or challenges with you being a woman in this field? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Well, it's not overt, necessarily. But, yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> we like to watch Chopped. Uh-huh. Okay, I don't yeah. know if you've ever seen that show. Oh, yeah. But, you know, and so we're sitting there. I, I like the creativity of it, you know, that they have to take something that they just hand them and say, you know, make something. But but when we're watching it. Well, I say, eh, so it's going to be the chick. It's always going to be the chick. Mm. And, and a, a lot of times, I mean, I would not say, oh, I know I didn't get that because I'm a woman. Because I really did not think that way I mean it's not that I think I'm genderless but I really don't I mean I just think that I'm you know a choral director right Um, now when I would go to like ACDA conventions not as much later on but initially yeah I mean it was just like oh my gosh where are the women on the stage why is the only you would only see women conducting when it was like an elementary school or right. or a middle school or something mm-hmm. like that, maybe a high school, and forget college, that right. has changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. I mean, Alicia Walker, director of cool activities at University of South Carolina now. Yeah, and there are tons of them. But well, that's probably. I mean, honestly, looking at that now, that's probably one of the things that made you stand out too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were an affluent. Choral director that was a female at a major university in the area, mm-hmm. a head of a music department. That was pretty rare, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, right. and I think, that, I and mean, I'm sure you were aware of that. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, like in the state at that time, there was only one other female. Well, no, there were two. Two by the time we got to, because remember in Bulgaria there was a woman who was at USC Aiken, I think it was. Mm-hmm. But anyway. And then you had Lily and Quackenbush at Columbia College. And right. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. And um, yeah, I, I'm sure there was some discrimination, not so much overt, but most of the male conductors in the state or surrounding region, thing like that, you know, I mean, I got along with fine. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't feel like it was really a competition. Do you feel you had to work any differently or harder to get in your career path where you ended up because of it? I think it might have been so if I had been at a bigger university, maybe. Or was this, was, was there some hidden drive in you, I think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that was part of the reason. And I think a lot of that came from my mother and my father, but mostly my mother. Mm-hmm. My mother was, was very, very savvy. and. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I tend to be drawn toward women leadership around me Mm -hmm. because there has to be this extra step to, to have intention to work for what you want. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, I mean, (laughs) this is kind of a funny story. I remember it even, even noticing my own privilege Mm -hmm. as a white male. Right. Right. I get a looking back. I gotten a lot of stuff because of that. Right. Right. I remember you might remember this too. My senior year, at CSU, there was something happening and I was having a difficult time graduating. And I remember Jennifer Lucan, my mm-hmm. voice teacher, I was doing something, I was supposed to memorize something I didn't or whatever it was. And uh, she kind of stopped playing and slammed the piano and she said, Justin, 
you just can't, this is past the time you cannot rely on your charm and good looks anymore. You've actually have to do the work. And it was kind of funny at the time, but actually that message sunk a little deeper than that moment. I kind of had this realization like, oh, I actually do need to do some work. And that kind of set a little, a, sl- a slow path, but it set a little bit of a path of me, of work ethic for myself. Mm-hmm. I don't think I had it before then, hmm. interestingly enough. But of course I do now. And when I became a teacher, I instilled that in my own students right. too. But it took, it did take a woman to kind of see that and say, you've got to do some work here. Right. So I think that's part of why I tend to be drawn to mm-hmm. to that because of there's this extra drive that's there. Right. But, but you know, when you, when you were just referring to when you taught high school. Yeah. There's also that that whole teaching component. And when you realize that what you are saying, that people actually are listening to you and, yeah. will, and will emulate you, yeah, that can help set you on the right path too. Right. So I think that's kind of a motivator in some ways because of, of the effect that you're having, you know, of the experience that you're giving. Mm. And, and is this really the experience I want to be giving? Yeah. It's, it changes things. The perspective completely changes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So you really have to think ahead. I have a couple of questions from our friend Josh. Yes. And one of them is related to what we're talking about. Mr. Greggy. Mr. Greggy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. One of them is sort of what I asked, but he's curious about being at a continuously conservative university. And obviously, you're a liberal woman. Mm-hmm. How, I guess... I guess, I guess he wants to know how that came to be for you to work there. And then how do you face that being being in that position of, of yourself? How that came to be was that Daryl saw the ad for Charleston Southern University and said, I, I want you to apply for this and basically applied for me, mm. sort of. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and I was like, oh, I don't want to go there. This college, you know, and he was like, oh, da, da. and I, I think I even have told you guys this story that my, when I first went there, remember there are two doors into the choir room, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there listening to the people singing and I was saying, there's a door there and there's a door there. Which one should I take? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. And then... God, somebody, I don't know. Basically, I, I sat do remember. there. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was rough. But again, I've mentioned Myra Jordan already. She really, really wanted me there. Mm. So that's, she's probably one of the reasons and, okay. and did what she could. And, you know, why did I stay? I don't know. You know, I, Judy Bowers, who's at FSU, was at FSU and retired recently, and then went to um, Monroe, Louisiana. Fabulous woman, you would love her. Hmm. Um, but I asked, there was an opportunity that I almost took. This would have been before you would, were there, and I said, Judy, what should I do? What should I do? We were getting ready to have ACDA in Charleston. That was '98, mm-hmm. and um, and she said, Valerie, just stay through this, and you know make this happen. And I, and you know, I think you'll like it. Well, as it turns out, we had ACDA in Charleston and then Myra left right before that. And I became department chair. And that in some ways helped a lot because I was able to, for lack of a better word, control. You, had, you could manipulate a little bit more. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, you know, I was able to grow the department and, you know, we went from, like I said, five to I think by the time I left, there's maybe 15 music faculty, mm. not counting the adjuncts. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, becoming the administrator and the musician really helped in a lot of ways. I mean, were there things that I didn't like? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of compartmentalizing. A lot of compartmentalizing. And I learned how to fly under the radar. You know, my whole thing was just helping the students, you know. How can I get these kids, you know, scholarship money mm-hmm. and, you know, the help they need, make sure we have the right faculty as much as we can, particularly towards the end of my of tenure there. I mean, that my faculty were fabulous. I mean, and, and many of them are still there. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, I agreed. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they, I mean, they've just done everything they can. But I really wish the university would give more credence to the School of Music. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. I, well, you've but, always wanted that. I know. I yeah, know. you've and, always fought for that. But, uh, you know, and some, I had some administrators who listened at, you know, like at the um, next level down and then others who didn't. And, you know, and that's a shame because I think they're, that we could have done even more. But the final years, particularly the last 10 years, you know, with like the trips, that really became mm. my raison d'etre. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, that's what helped many of us grow so much as people. Yeah. You know, I know that you just, you just mentioned you're not sure why you were, you stood there. I do. I mean, yeah. I would not be where I am. No way if you had not had some action in what you're doing. Yeah. I wrote down something. I was thinking about this because really you were kind of, this is what I wrote down that you, you were a secret underground, you ran, you ran a secret underground ring of Episcopal transformation. <laughs> Which is true. I yeah. mean, here we are at a Baptist college. Right. And look, many of us looking back, I say many of us, me and Josh, <laughs> look look back on this and like that woman was just secretly turning us all into these little, because we didn't even realize really what, what was happening until, wait a minute, I now that I'm going to Episcopal churches years later, this is what we were doing at concerts and this is what we were doing in tours, this, you know. We were Presbyterians actually. Oh. Yeah, you know, we were married in a Presbyterian church and... But when we went to Oxford, uh, Mississippi, that is, where wonderful little church there, very, very old, is where Faulkner went, mm. St. Peter's, lovely little choir, great organist. And I just fell in love with that little church. That wasn't my first time being a musician in Episcopal Church. I also was, I think it was after my master's. Or during my master's. Anyway, I was at St. Martin's in the Field in Columbia mm. with English Morris. Sure. No, no, it wasn't with English Morris then. It was Ann Bauer. Is that where you met English? Is that that? No, I'm English is in concert choir with me. Oh, okay. And Harriet, his wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've known them since, well, my freshman year. Wow, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. We're godparents to okay. their second daughter. Okay. Somebody is. Anyway, so... Yeah, and I just I just fell in love with the the spirituality and the intellectual, you know, that yes. you could let your mind your your mind can be your, you know, your intellect can work in the church. You don't have to turn off your mm-hmm, intellect. Mm-hmm. That God gave you this intellect. Yeah. And hey, let's use it. Let's do some music that actually can elevate the scripture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so yeah, I just I loved it. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, here it wasn't quite at the same level when we were at St. Paul's when they were still Episcopalian. But still, I, I still I loved the liturgy and just everything that the inclusivity of it. And I just, I, you know, to not alienate people. And I mean, I'm just like, you know, God's not like that. Jesus would never be that way. He would never say somebody could not come into the church or be a part of that because of what they, you know, smelled like or something yeah yeah right <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous I, I like that part yeah i i have a very distinct memory maybe, maybe you remember this but there was this when we had our trip it was you tell me because you're the date queen okay when we first went to england to the york to minster york, 2004 yeah. okay 2004 before that was bulgaria correct okay so remember bulgaria that was a that was something else right but 2004 this is when i got serious about the music thing mm-hmm. so I remember we attended, you and I, and maybe some other people, attended, an, I think it was an Evensong at one of the abbeys. It was, it was actually, well, I, what I remember is that we did the Evensong the day we arrived, because we were major jet lagged. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we were sitting there in the pews and yes. in, in the choir. In the choir, yeah. Right, and, and they were singing, and, and I just remember I almost did a face plant. <laughs> Yeah, so, I was so tired, but it was but it was fabulous. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I remember I was there and mm-hmm. I chose to go, and there was maybe only a few of us went. I don't remember. Maybe yeah. I'm not remembering that. But you said, "Here, come sort of here next to me," because you could see I was utterly confused. I didn't know what was going on, mm-hmm. but I also had this sense of you wanted to teach me what was going on here. 
Well, I knew you would appreciate it yes. because you had an, enough of a background, Justin, mm. that I knew that you would be able to connect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also might have been the time that you went up to the organ loft in English. Yeah, at the York Minster. Yes. Yeah. So, but this particular service was Evensong was a boys choir. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had never... I didn't know what Evensong was. Right. I had never experienced anything like this. I'd never been inside of a church like this. Mm-hmm. Church to me at that point in my life was a concert venue with lights and guitars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, now, and there, right. And there is a place for that. I've, right. you know, but now here I am in this extremely different space where I remember very distinctly looking up at you know these huge ceilings right and seeing this exquisite architecture yes the stained glass windows and then hearing this boys choir sing something i've never heard before i've never heard music like this before and to me i had this spiritual encounter i physically audibly heard this voice during that moment and it was like something like this is for you. After all these years, what you've been searching for, this is it. Mm. And I, I did not even know this existed in the world. Right. No clue. And I remember you took the prayer book and you're helping me like follow through what was going on. And I was just, I, it was kind of like I was a child and seeing all these <laughs> shining things in front of me. Yeah. I remember it was a psalm. It was an Anglican chant or something mm-hmm. like that that I had never heard anything like that before. And it was just so life-changing and I wanted more of that. And in the way I'd never heard an organ before like that either. Right. So those, the interaction of the organ and the choir during the psalm, to this day, psalms are my favorite, Yeah. right? But it was that moment that, you know, you, in a way, took me under your wing to kind of show me this, mm-hmm. right? And I so appreciate that because that that's what set me on my path to study organ, to travel to California, to take a job out there, to have the ear to seek that out, to mm. go to join the AGO, to go to this church in, in California, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that one little moment mm. is what that set that off, you know? And I continue to remember that when I talk about beauty in this, in this historically human journey of things that have been done for thousands of years and the stuff that's up on the wall is thousands of years old yeah. and all that stuff. It's you didn't in the worship experience I've had, I didn't have that connection. Right. It's all about the now and what's happening this and are you emotional and you know, mm-hmm. there is no connection, there's no thought, there like you said there's no intellect. Mm-hmm. This was just a different way of me experiencing the world. Right. So thank you for being a, a closeted episcopalian in the ch- church or in the school and <laughs> Well, I wasn't closet necessarily, but, right. but I did, yeah. Rogue or whatever. Well, there and there were a couple of us too. Mm. You know, there were. You know, I mean, there are a few Catholics. Sure. I mean, well, you have you know, Joe Lopez. Yeah, yeah, right. But again, I felt like we could still lead. That we didn't have to be, you know, Baptist. Of course, growing up Baptist, I think probably helped. Sure. I mean, if I had not had that experience, yeah. even though it's not the same, in my humble opinion. But anyways, changed a lot since then. Well, I think for many of us, that trip in 2004 was the first time many of us had been in an Episcopal liturgy experience or in a cathedral or in anything like that. Mm -hmm. And you're right. That's when English took us up to the organ loft. Right. Actually, no, that's not true. Was that 2006? The second time. Because that first time I'm talking about was when I was exposed to it. Right. Then when I came back to Charleston, I was like, Give me an organ to play with. Right. Um, and Charleston has a lot of opportunities for that, too. Right. And at that, at that time, too, um, you know, there still were really some incredible organists mm-hmm. in the area. And still, and are now, too, but I'm just saying it was because of that schism. That's just, things have just gotten, oh, but anyway. But I did attend a, the, the seating of the bishop. You know, we have a new bishop here. I understand she that. She was seated in um, October. And, um, but anyway, and, and, you know, the Grace Church choir sang, and it was wonderful. Story number two right. that I want to talk about is, and maybe this is before or after, I don't remember, but you called me into your office mm-hmm. one day, and you said, Justin, I have a voicemail message on my telephone from someone named Ann Hood. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> 
over at a church on Sullivan's Island, and she needs a... A bass, probably. Yeah, like a voice, what am I trying to say? Music leader, a voice, a section leader. Right. And I think, actually, you would be perfect for this. And I was like, okay, why? And I, I think I needed money at the time or something. Right. And, and you said, well, they're very accepting here. That was what you said. <laughs> and I said, okay... And, you know, I think around this time was when I didn't even know who I was, mm-hmm. right? So I remember going, I was like, okay, so I took the I took the audition or whatever, which I probably never would have done unless you had suggested it. Uh, and I did my audition with Ann Hood over in Sullivan's Island. And I remember thinking this was just a while. So this must have been before 2004 because this was my first exposure to all this stuff. Yeah. So... I went there and I remember, and I think I even, I think I even attended a service. She's like, okay, let's have you on like tonight. It was some during the week service or something. Mm-hmm. She was desperate for a singer. So I did it. And I remember I performed it or whatever. Yeah. I'm trying not to use that did word now. Now you've got me thinking. <laughs> and I, I remember afterwards feeling like so foreign. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is weird. I don't know if I want to do this. So I didn't do it. I was like, I'm sorry, this isn't for me. Yeah. So, you know come a week or two later and I really needed some money mm-hmm. and it was a pretty good paying gig actually. Oh, because every, everybody in the choir is paid. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. So, so I was like, okay. So I called her back. It's like, are you still having that uh, job available? She's like, oh sure. Come on. So I went, I took the position and begrudgingly, I guess at this point, but then during these Sunday services, I started seeing the way people were behaving that were different than I experienced. And I would hear sermons and I would interact with people, which is where I met Nancy Stedman. Right. And all these other people and just, they, and they drank. <laughs> and we would go out afterwards and have fun and we'd talk about things. And they were just really friendly people and they, they were accepting, in your words. And I was like, hmm, well, this is interesting. And so that's what led me to this church on Holy Cross, uh, Holy Cross on Sullivan's Island. And that's when I, after this trip, immediately came home and said, okay, I need, I need to know everything about the organ. Mm-hmm. And so that's when Ann Hood bought me organ shoes, took me to Texas for... Really? Yeah. I never do that. Yeah. As soon as I told her I was interested in the organ, she already had signed me up for everything. I mean, I guess in her eyes, having a young person, inter- oh, yeah. you know, interested at all remotely in the organ, she's, she, she, I'll pay for everything, doesn't, but mm-hmm. all of that to say, that one little moment, and then, then the invitation for me to go to this place just led me on these paths to go to those different places. I'm sure that happens a lot. I'm sure you hear these things a lot from different people. Yes. You know, when we make the connection. Yeah, yeah. And it might be 30 years later that you yeah. make that connection. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it still is a connecting, like connecting tissue, if you will. Sure. That just leads in so many different ways. It really does. I don't think I've really answered the other question oh. about Josh. The asked oh. about the, or maybe wasn't there a second part to it? There was a second part, but you sort of answered it. He just wanted to know there are a lot. There, what he what he asked was there are a lot of men in that same field. Uh huh. And how did you deal with well, okay? Yeah, I guess with I the sexism. So we yeah. talked about that. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I just don't know that, and maybe this was arrogant of me, but I just. <laughs> I just felt like, you know, they really didn't have anything more. Well, of course they did, but, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I just, I just never thought it was an issue. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Okay. That's great. Okay. So speaking of relationships, mm-hmm. you mentioned you and Daryl, you know, I was actually, I was talking with Josh and I was thinking about things too. And you did a lot of modeling for us in a lot of ways too. Mm-hmm. Modeling about life, how to carry, I think I've said this, how to carry yourself, how to act. And even, ta- I mean, taking a group of college kids anywhere, right, that are discovering themselves too, and then deciding to take them overseas to have these experiences. You had such a knack for that without crowding us, but allowing us to kind of experience our own, mm. having our own things, right? But, but a little bit of a guide, right? Mm. By modeling, mm-hmm. not by telling. And one of those major things that I think all of us experienced was your really immense way of modeling your relationship with Daryl. Mm. And I think all of us think about that as just a kind of a, a model, not a perfect relationship, but a, mm. a, a model of how to have 
a healthy relationship with somebody else. So Daryl was actually always a part of, of us too. Mm, you'd be happy to hear that. Do you want to talk about his role in... You know, when he started traveling with us, it just made my life so much easier. <laughs> because not that I couldn't travel by myself. I mean, I could. And of course I did, you know, particularly to conventions a lot. But he's just such a big support for me and will anticipate some of my needs, you know, mm-hmm. and um, or, or get too, you know, panicked about things, which I... You know, he's, he's very grounded. He's a very grounded person and, and also help, help keep me grounded so I don't become too, you know, highfalutin, as it were. Um, <laughs> Which was a perfect yeah. fit and, for you. And, yeah. you know, and just holds me up without, you know, putting me on a pedestal, if that makes sense. But because we are, we are a team and, um, we really realized it, like I said, when we were chatting earlier, that particularly during the pandemic, you know, because if we had not had each other, right. I, I can't even imagine. But, you know, a lot of walking, lots of walking. And, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a, I think it's a very healthy relationship. I think we, we talk and we do a lot of dreaming, mm-hmm. talk a lot about traveling. Mm-hmm. And, and, and well, let's, let's be honest. What? You're a bit of a force. <laughs> I mean, especially, you know, I th- I know you, all of us have changed and grown all these things, but I think early on when we were, all of us were under your care, mm. you were not to be messed with is what I'm saying. I mean, you knew that you were quite something in that regard. So to see an, another side of you really, let's say, right, that had, that for us kind of showed this other side of your life that had this balance Mm -hmm. to it was really intriguing. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, the only person on this planet that can sway Dr. Bullock in any other way was this Daryl guy. Yeah. And that's what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. I I listened to him. And that's what it takes. It takes a special someone to, uh, to nurture and support someone in that kind of role. Well, and that I would listen to. Because, yeah, yeah, right. Because, you know, <laughs> that's another thing we joke about. You know, nobody tells me what to do. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, but yes, but he does. Right. It's not so much he, he's not so much telling me. Mm. He's just saying, you know, maybe you want to look at this. Maybe yeah. you want to think about this direction, you know. But, you know, back to, you know, about giving you guys kind of free reign, you know, not making us all herd around like you know, little goats. I felt like that was important. And honestly, that was kind of selfish in some ways. It may have seemed that I was <laughs> It may have seemed that I was You were actually on the corner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah seriously. You know, I mean, I wanted some free time. Sure. Know? And and I I mean, y'all needed it too. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I didn't not want to be joined at the hip all the time. Yeah. I mean, I loved y'all a lot, but not that much. <laughs> I told yes, yeah, right, of course. So, and I think y'all need to learn how to do that too. As you know, as I think I might have not have said it as much, but I was hoping that I taught you guys that discretion is a very important thing to learn. I remember this quote actually. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you just need to learn that there's a time and a place, and you know, you just need to keep your mouth shut. Yeah. And yep. do what you're supposed to do and don't be running around like some kind of fool. Yeah, right. That's it. <laughs> there you go. Just keep your nose clean, as they say. And you, okay, so you, talking about Daryl just a little bit more, you uh, you were about to, met, you were starting to tell the story of how you met Daryl. Oh. And then I interrupted you earlier. So now that we're on the topic of Daryl. Okay. Why don't you, okay, so you're, you mentioned you were doing all these things. You're single, you're doing, running all over the place and you're mm. late nights and all this. So... Daryl enters the picture. How does that happen? He was, he lived upstairs from a, with a former roommate in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I went up to see her. I just finished my master's. And so I went up to kind of blow off a little steam, living in Columbia, of course. And um, that's where I met him. And we hit it off hmm. almost immediately. And then we kind of had a long-term relationship, not not real, you know, that much, but and then he came to see me in February and got snowed in 
When you say long-term, did you mean long distance? Long distance, excuse me. Okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. <clears throat> it became long-term. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but the, um, and got snowed in, and while he was there, he saw there was a, a job doing what he did. He's a community development okay. planner. And there was a job in Columbia. He interviewed for it, got it. He had already been accepted in a job in Charleston. And so I was like, oh, man, you know. Wow. And so I had looked, actually, I had looked at some schools. That was of course, when I was still secondary. In the stars. Yeah. And so, anyway, and I was looking for a school in Charleston because I thought that he had a job in Charleston. But then, come out, he got the job in Columbia. So, he moved to Columbia. And I was there, and he was there. And hmm. eventually, you know, you know, I was still doing shows, you know. Okay. Everything like that. Yeah. But, but not as much, particularly once I went to Lexington because it was a lot more demanding job. But, like... I I um sang, let's see with Susanna. Anyway, Albert Herring. I started rehearsals for that like you know, the week after our honeymoon. Mm. So, yeah. At the time of recording this podcast, we just lost Sondheim. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah, which is, it's rare to have someone that's a legend like that. I know. To witness their own legend legendariness come to be i think yeah right so i think he's really lucky to have that but uh, i think i caught some something where a bunch of musical theater performers were singing yeah Yeah, the sunday piece yep do you have in your performance life Mm. do you have a favorite moment that you remember that just encapsulates that whole idea of what he helped to contribute to actually i was mrs Ekstrom in A Little Night Music. Oh. Yes. Gorgeous musical. Mm, Gorgeous yeah, musical. Yeah. Hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, he's so hard. Yes, he is. I think that's the only Sondheim I actually sang, like, on stage. Right. It doesn't have to be Sondheim, any, yeah. any show, but just something that makes you think that, gosh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the most exciting things was, and this is pre-Daryl, but... I was the old maid in Old Maid and the Thief, Minotti. Mm, yeah, that, yeah. That was that was a really pivotal. But I've done a you know. Then I did Skeeky at FSU, and that was fun. Mm. Excuse me, I sang Skeeky. <laughs> um, I love it. Yeah, there's several. Susanna, that was probably one of the bigger things after after Old Maid and the Thief. But yeah, I used to love opera. Mm-hmm. I really did. Oh sure, and musical theater. But yeah. I think really my start was more with opera and stuff like that. I love I loved the opera scene stuff. I thought that was just got, that way you got a, a sampling of a lot of different things. Yeah. And um, but of course never, that was never with a um, full orchestra. But anywho, yes. So then and the, okay, so then moving on to your professional career, which you're now moving into teaching and conducting and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Which, at least when I was there, was it grew quite a bit, too. It had its own mm-hmm. life force, too. There was a growing orchestral program happening, which I was a part of. Mm-hmm. I performed in the ba- chamber winds there. Mm-hmm. I was in the did percussion. So I think perhaps that was like the first time you really were trying to get all of them, everybody to work together mm-hmm. to create this music experience right. rather than getting locked down. And, of course, there were like the band people and the choir people or the throats as they called us sometimes. And so I was actually kind of cool to have both worlds. I was like, in the, and I actually, maybe you know this, but I became a fraternity brother of the, I remember that. Yeah. Yes. And I have developed some friendships that way too. So I guess, so in that time of all the things we've been talking about, and I think you would agree, you've obviously you've had some growth and change and things in your own personal and professional life as you've experienced all these things that I've been talking about with your teaching career in high school, but then to college, what would you say is some things that you learned about the world and yourself through all of that? Give people the opportunity to succeed. Mm. And this would be from when I was directing choirs to give them a chance to get it right. Rodney Eichenberger always said that. In other words, go ahead and let them try it. Don't just assume they're going to fail. But give them a chance. Mm. And then I think I could 
flip that around or put a mirror to me and say, give yourself a chance. Mm. Don't just assume that you can't do, you know, X, Y, Z. Just do it. Just there's that do verb again. That's right. <laughs> Even though, <laughs> Even just that. do it. Yeah. But that, but that works there, you know? So I think that being willing to try, you know, just putting yourself out there, which of course you haven't been able to do for a year and a half or almost two years. Mm-hmm. But. And I still feel like, even though I'm not, you know, working anymore since I'm retired, but I still, you know, love that experience. And whenever I get the opportunity to work in that capacity or experience that again, I, you know, I do. I'm not I'm still trying to move away in a lot of ways, but I still, I try to play the piano every day. Mm. I try to, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work out, but you know, just experiencing music and art in every way I can. Yeah. Well, we could go on and on, but thank you so much for doing oh, this. Thank you. I, sh- I mean, I could have me. asked a thousand questions, but I just wanted to have a little time to, while I'm here visiting. Yes to capture what you've meant to me and probably what other people will listen to when they hear this too as it's it's important to i feel i've always felt that i've wanted to know my grandparents and my great-grandparents and i never did Mm -hmm. because by the time you realize you want to have those connections it's too late right they're gone yeah and there's so much wisdom i feel that's lost Mm. that Part of the reason I do this is that I want to sit down and capture moments because we're in an age where we can, we have the ability with technology and all these things to capture these moments and thoughts and feelings in our, in our voices. Mm-hmm. So thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you for asking me, Justin. It really means a great deal to me mm. to be remembered because y'all were a, par- a big part of my life too and continue to be. Yes. Yeah. And, but yeah, thank you. Weeble. Thank you. <laughs> Love you. Thank you for doing this. <laughs> that was a joke. Oh, I got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm full. <bald>. <laughs> <laughs>